Hi, everyone, and a very warm welcome to this episode of the Learning Journeys podcast from Lacuna Learning. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening and subscribing, and just hope you're all keeping really, really well just now. In today's episode, we are delighted to be joined by professional climber Robbie Phillips. Robbie is a highly successful climber, having competed for Great Britain as a competition climber before choosing to embrace the world of outdoor climbing. He's an all-rounder in the climbing world, having been really successful and climbed hard routes in bouldering, sport climbing, traditional or known as trad climbing, as well as big wall climbing and as an accomplished winter climber as well. He is very well known for not taking himself too seriously. Uh, I do recommend you check out his YouTube channel to get a bit of a sense of that. I was looking at actually one last night, it was making me laugh a bit. And also for being highly creative, which included a recent ascent of the underside of a bridge next to the boat club where I coach. So there are no limits to the man's creativity. I also discovered today that he listened to my last podcast whilst fingerboarding, which is when you hang off an extremely small set of wooden holds, um, which has to be a first for the podcast. Also super cool though, that people get out there and they talk to someone they haven't talked to for a while, just check in with them. And Robbie did that the other day with a friend of his. So um, just, yeah, really cool that he did that. And I'd encourage you all to do that. He's really keen to encourage young people or anyone really to get outdoors as a bit of a route to better physical and mental health. I am stoked to have him on the podcast. He's the first climber on the podcast. So there'll be a bit of climbing chat, but we'll keep that to minimum, hopefully. And just to have him along to share his journey. And I can't wait to see where this goes. So thank you so much for your time, Robbie. Yeah, thank you very much, man. And uh, I'm absolutely honoured to be the first climber on here. The first, isn't it? First ascent. So I'm psyched. (laughs) (laughs) I knew he'd find a way to be excited about that. I just didn't know what he was going to say. Yeah. (laughs) And we're definitely going to be talking about climbing. We are going to talk about climbing a bit. It's good. And we'll hopefully have more climbers on in the future and people from lots of different sports and different parts of life and so on. So, okay, Robbie, I am uh, super excited for the opening question. Given that you are a professional adventurer and you travel around the world normally, if you could go on an adventure anywhere in the world, where would you go? Who would you go with? And what would you do? There are no COVID restrictions in place for the purposes of the activity. Okay, so um, I have been thinking about this long and hard. And, uh, you know, honestly, in terms of the, the people I would go with, I have a, a group of friends that, you know, we call ourselves the Shamble Squad. And uh, it started off, it started off basically me and uh, two other friends. And there's, since then, there's been like other climbers kind of like being added to the Shamble Squad. Um, over time but um, yeah basically we're just we're just a bunch of really good friends varying ability levels and uh, and we just kind of get ourselves up to all sorts of you know mischief and problems and whenever we go out climbing is always an absolute epic uh, but it's always so much fun with those guys and it's just constant laughing it's constant piss taking <laughs> it's like just proper good Good times, really. So I would I would go with my mates, uh, the Shamble Squad, and the type of trip I'd want to do. I, I honestly think I'd want to get on a boat, and I'd want to do like something like really adventurous, like you know, kind of like sailing along the northwest of Scotland, kind of like hunting for first ascent trad lines, like Virgin Rock stuff that's never been done before, just because it's just a totally wild type of adventure. It combines you know, three things I absolutely love. It combines climbing and my mates and just, you know, having an adventure, plenty of epics. So that is what I would do. 
Oh, I knew it was going to be good. I didn't know what he was going to say. I thought there'd be mischief. I um, was uh, I was on mute there if everyone was wondering. I was laughing a lot at the shambles squads. <laughs> so, wow, yeah. Go, Northwest of Scotland on a boat. There was, of course, a great series. If I was looking on the internet, Robbie's all over YouTube and stuff. The vertical sailing lot, they went off. Sean Villanueva and all that. They went sailing around. Um, we're in Greenland and they went climbing up stuff that hadn't been climbed up before. So maybe there's a place for that up in the north of Scotland where nobody can get to it by road very easily. But they could sail around to it and stuff. That yeah. Robbie, that sounds like a whole like YouTube series coming our way. R- Robbie and the Shambles squad go around the north of Scotland. Yeah, I just need someone with a boat. That's the only thing, you know. It's so so funny actually. I was at the crag the other day there in, in Edinburgh in Rathal Quarry, and uh there was a couple of climbers who I knew kind of like you know having a climb next to us, and one of them had a boat, and suddenly we went up Chang and they were like we should all go on a boat trip together. So I was like, sick, brilliant. <laughs> Life finds a way, you know? It, there, it, there's a way. Well, as a bit of a pre-spoiler on a future podcast, I have got a sailor lined up for the podcast. So maybe maybe there's like a connection we can make. One of you can do the sailing, one of you can do the climbing and come together. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, you need to bring it together. <laughs> bring, bring it together. And see, this is the creativity already running here. I love it. Listen, we could well be here for an hour just chatting about the Shambles Squad, but I'd love to know a bit more about, about you and your journey and kind of how things have come to be. Could you maybe give us a wee bit about maybe your early experiences into sport and kind of how you got into climbing in the first place and where that led you? Yeah, no worries. So I guess um, I started climbing when I was probably 14, 15 years old, and I, I got into it through the Duke of Edinburgh Award. And it's, it's funny, like, uh, I think I, my mum had taken me to the climbing wall, you know, a, a numerous times when I was young, just on birthday parties and things like that. But I never kind of gotten into it, but I'd always known that I loved it. And I remember when I started the Duke of Edinburgh Award, we had to choose a sport, a charity and a skill. And we had to do them for three months. And I basically looked at as I remember going into the library and there was this folder, Duke of Edinburgh Award folder, and looked down the list of sports you could do. And there was all the usuals like rugby, football, cricket, all these things. But then there was like rock climbing down there. And I was like, rock climbing. I remember I like that. I want to do that. So I went down to the, the local climbing wall and met an instructor there who was really cool. And he said he would be my, my assessor for the three-month period. And basically I got to the end of the three month period. I had an absolutely amazing time climbing and I was really upset because I thought that was, that was it. That was going to be the end of my climbing. And he was like, well, no, you don't have to, to stop now. You can just keep coming back. And so I did. And the funny thing about this whole thing is I never actually got my Duke of Edinburgh award. I, I started climbing and just, uh, and that was all I wanted to do. And then I just kind of left the Duke of Edinburgh award and kind of just like got into climbing, you know, full on and just built up over, over time from there, I think I started one day a week, then I moved to two days a week. Then I got introduced to competitions and started with the competition team, the locals there. Started getting coached a bit more. And then I guess over, over several years built up to the point where I was good enough to kind of compete nationally and, and internationally. And, uh, and to be honest, the rest is all history. It was just, uh, yeah, onward and upwards from there, really. Oh, do you know, I didn't know how you got into climbing. That is as funny as I was expecting you to say. So you never got the award. You did all that climbing, but you never got it. Did you go on the expedition at least? You know what? I did go on the expedition and I just remember it being really miserable. Like I was like a, a bit of a city boy being dragged out into the hills and uh, I hated camping and I hated the rain and I thought it was just so awful. 
And I was like, I don't really enjoy this, <laughs> but I really enjoy the climbing part. And, it, and it, what's really funny about that is like, I think a lot of people think that because uh, I'm a climber, I must love, you know, I guess every aspect of being outdoors. But actually most of the time when it's like raining and you're in your tent and it's miserable, I actually totally hate that and like don't find that enjoyable whatsoever but it's a necessary evil to go in and go and go and climbing and i accept it and i and i i deal with it and so yeah that's just that was just it yeah i'm so laughing people would assume because i do a lot of outdoorsy stuff that i would also love camping it's the one part of it i really don't enjoy uh i'm all for like you know I don't mind getting cold and wet, but like, let's, let's get home and at least sleep somewhere warm for the night. So I think it's really reassuring for all of us listening into this, that you can be a pro climber who does a lot of suffering. Like Robbie does big wall climbing where you sleep on a porta ledge up, up the side of a mountain. But he's actually not that big a fan of being cold and wet and camping out. It's just good. I still think that they should have just given you the award at some point for commitment to climbing, if nothing else. So, okay. So competition climbing. Where did that lead you? You talked about competing nationally and internationally. How, how did that journey go for you? Um, so with competition climbing, I think, com- I guess like early doors, competitions were something that I naturally gravitated to because challenge and challenge is always something I've been really interested in. And I think climbing offers you lots of different challenges, but competition specifically, I, I guess I've got quite a competitive uh, streak in me as well. I think early on, I really wanted to prove myself. And because I found, I don't think I was naturally good at climbing, but I guess like locally, I, I was one of the better climbers um, as I kind of developed my skills. And I really wanted to prove myself against others and kind of, I guess, really achieve anything else. You know, I wasn't really, I wasn't very academic and I wasn't very, I never won medals or anything at school. So I, I found climbing, that was my thing. And I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to be the best. And so competitions were something I naturally gravitated to because of that. Um, and also competitions were something that, you know, as a youth with not much access to the outdoors and an indoor climbing wall being the easiest thing to access, indoor climbing competitions, it's the easiest thing to kind of focus on. So it made complete sense. And I mean, it was a great learning process. It was, you know, I learned a lot of valuable skills. I learned how to train how to train specifically for an objective, how to um, set goals and how to deal with, you know, failure and success and, and how, I guess, how to manage myself and my, men- my mentality throughout all this. And um, so I will always, I always feel like I owe a lot to that, that period of my life where I did competitions, but I certainly didn't, I'm certainly glad I didn't take it any further. Like when I was about 19 years old, I decided I wanted to, to focus more on outdoor climbing. And I got into outdoor climbing fairly soon. You know, after I started climbing, I was probably like 16 years old when I really got into outdoor climbing. And, you know, for the three years leading up to my 19th birthday, I was like kind of trying to balance the outdoor stuff and the competitions. And, but the outdoor stuff was just what I was really psyched on. And eventually, you know, it kind of took over. And it's really hard to balance both of them. And uh, my passion was was in the outdoors. So I just kind of went with that. That's really interesting, Robbie. There was a lovely thing said about Alex Honnold a few years ago, which was they said, he's from that world, that indoor climbing, but he's not of that world. So he comes from that, I guess, slightly variable, very much controlled environment. 
but he's not from that. And I, I'm wondering if you would recognise that. But I also wonder what you think that indoor background has given you as you've gone on into the, into the outdoor world. Yeah, well, I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny, like that Alex Honnold quote. So the way I've always looked at myself is I'm a climber. I'm not like a, a rock climber or an indoor climber or necessarily a big wall climber or a boulderer. I'm just a climber. I like climbing things. If it's concrete, if it's rock, if it's plastic, it doesn't matter. I love climbing. I love the movement. I love the challenge. I love everything about climbing. There's certain aspects of climbing that I possibly enjoy more at certain times, but you know, it's like a wave, you know, it changes. And sometimes I, I just love being indoor climbing. Like I, I love having like a, a stint of like two or three months where all I do is I go to the local bouldering wall, I train and I have fun and, you know, I drink copious amounts of tea in between each boulder problem. And I just like have a, have a good laugh in a comfortable environment. And then kind of at the end of that phase, I'm like, you know what? I really need an adventure. I really need to get out and suffer a little bit and, and be outside and, and experience that. Indoor climbing gave me so much, just like the competition side of things, you know, it taught me a lot of key skills early on. And I think indoor climbing great for that because it's so accessible. Pretty much every city has two or three climbing walls in the UK now, you know, it's so accessible for everyone. And I think, I mean, there's access, there's aspects of it that are inaccessible. You know, you've got to be able to pay money. You've got to buy climbing shoes, whatever, but we're, we're kind of working on those barriers to help more people get access to climbing walls. But, you know, in and of itself, it's, it's more, it's more accessible than outdoor climbing for most people. So you can, you can go to a climbing wall, you can go there four or five days a week and you can learn this sort of fundamental techniques to be able to apply them outdoors. Although there is a bit of a transition to outdoor climbing from indoors, it works itself out. Once you start getting outdoor climbing, you learn you learn how to transition those skills. So indoor climbing is incredibly important for, oh, it's, it's incredibly useful for developing these skills. And I developed those skills at an early age, movement skills, physical uh, attributes from indoor climbing. And I think that I wouldn't be the climber I am today without it. And I, I think Alex Honnold would completely agree as well. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. That's kind of what I thought you were going to say was that it gave you that really, really strong basis in terms of like climbing hard, but also those basic fundamental skills of with mechanics, I guess, of going climbing and that sort of stuff. So you transitioned 19 or so, right, I want to go out, outdoors. What was the uh, what were the early days of your outdoors? I want to get to your high points in a minute. What were the early days like of you getting out and I guess doing your apprenticeship on Real Rock? Yeah, okay. So I remember when I was, I guess like 15, 16, I'd been climbing like a year and a half, you know, coming up for two years possibly. And I can remember the climbing coaches and instructors at the wall being like, outdoor climbing is where it's at. Indoor climbing is just the thing you do, you know, when you can't get outdoors. And I was like, right, okay, outdoor climbing must be amazing. And then I get dragged to like some local quarry in the central belt of Scotland. And it would be kind of like either a little bit drizzly, a bit cold or a bit windy. And I'd be in this quarry, which is barely like 10 meters high or something. And the climbing wouldn't be the most inspiring. It's a, it's quarried rock. It's trad climbing as well, which means it's a bit slower. You know, trad when you're placing gear, it's, it's a bit slower. And I was just like, nah, rock climbing's crap. <laughs> like rock climbing is not fun at all. 
I want to go back in the warm indoor climbing wall and just like have fun and jump jump around between blobs and and not have to worry about gear and all the faff that goes in outdoor climbing. So my first experience of outdoor climbing was this is boring basically. And then I had this like really amazing opportunity. My my mum and dad basically said to me, we want to go on holiday somewhere. If you want to uh, if you want to choose somewhere where you can go on holiday where you can also go climbing, you know, we can do that. And I I read in this climbing magazine uh, a Neil Gresham article. Neil Gresham was like a big name at the time. And he'd done this whole piece on Kalimnos, an island in Greece, where it's just this paradise, these big limestone caves. And I thought, yeah, I want to go to Kalimnos. I want to try climbing outdoors there. And so my mum and dad took me to Kalimnos. And uh, as soon as I got there, I saw the climbing was so different to the climbing I'd been doing in the quarries back home and realized, actually, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. And had an amazing trip two weeks in, in Kalimnos kind of climbing these big stalactites and, and these things called tufas and these huge caves. And then when I got home, it kind of just like given me an insight into like what outdoor climbing could be. And then I guess over the next few years, I was given more opportunities to travel a bit. I climbed more in the UK. I had two mentors who would take me on trips up to the highlands and down south to like the Dales, Yorkshire Dales, like Malham and Kilnsey and these amazing outdoor climbing venues. And yeah, I guess like I was just learning so much about, you know, what it is to kind of be a rock climber and how you handle yourself in these environments and and all the, I guess, like everything you kind of need to be able to climb hard and do all this stuff. I guess like up until the age of sort of like 17, I guess, I guess my first big trip abroad was when I was 17. And, uh, and kind of after that, it was just like, yeah, just trip after trip after trip, you know, like kind of just building on what I had, I had learned from my mentors and kind of just kind of finding my own way with it really. I love that you went from the central belt to Kalimnos, which is this kind of like mecca for climbers. And Robbie and I were laughing beforehand. We, we both climbed in a local quarry um, near us in Edinburgh. And it's great. It's the middle of Edinburgh. It's not the most inspiring place in the world, but it's it's great for that. So I've just got this culture shock of Robbie as a young kid going from like this wee quarry in Edinburgh or Glasgow, wherever, and then being in Greece in this like amazingly hot, incredible conditions. Anyway, I'm dead interested People listen to the podcast a lot. We talk a lot about coaching and mentoring. You said you had two mentors. I'm wondering what it is that you, that you got out of those mentors and if you could maybe give us a bit of a sense of, of kind of their approach to mentoring you at that time. Yeah, so basically I had, I mean, I, 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 call, them, I call them my mentors. Sometimes I call them my, my coaches. They were just like really good friends who decided to, you know, take an interest in me. They would have been like 25 years old you know, when I first met them. I would be like 50 years, 10 years apart. And they were just two guys who were like really into climbing and just had like a really good attitude. They're both quite, quite different. Neil McGeeky, he was very performance orientated, very into training, very into goals and achieving. And so his approach with me was, you know, he, he, he helped me build a training program. He kind of guided me down the, the sort of competitive route and and taught me how to I guess approach big projects and big goals and, and and deal with failure and I did lots of climbing trips with him to Spain and France over the years and and he I guess he helped me through like a lot of 
challenging times when I was aspiring to be the best climber I could be. And then on the other, the other side, there was uh, Neil Busby. And uh, I guess they were called the two Neils. And Neil Busby, he was just such a chilled, really cool guy who just had a very cool approach to, to life in general. I guess, I don't know, as, as a youth, I think I was eager to, to prove myself. I was hyperactive. I'm convinced I had ADHD or I have ADHD. I'm just like really, really kind of like completely uh, wired most of the time. But he was really able to channel my energies and, and calm me down and, and help me see the bigger picture and things and help me to, I guess, manage myself better amongst groups of people socially as well. And I guess not come across as the little dick <laughs> who just wants to like <laughs> beat everyone and uh, and win <laughs> i don't know there were there were two very different guys and 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 their mentoring was their style of mentoring was they they brought me into their fold into their friendship group they introduced me to lots of cool people i was hanging out with mostly older climbers you know i was 15 16 17 years old i was hanging out with guys in their 20s and their 30s you know and, and older than that in their friendship group and uh, I honestly think I owe so much to them, not just from teaching me how to climb and all that sort of stuff, but just socially and how to, you know, live, how to live really. Oh, thanks, Robbie. There's a lot of people listening to the podcast who are really interested, who do mentoring, coaching for a living. If you're ever looking for a definition, anyone of what mentoring is, I would just really listen to that last two minutes of Robbie talking because it's all in there. I love that idea of people taking you with them kind of thing as an idea of I'll just take you with me because that's probably one of the best ways to help grow you and develop you and so on and, and I love that really holistic sense of yeah we're here to teach you technical skills about climbing and all that kind of stuff but actually we're also here to help kind of integrate you into I guess like climbing society or that community I guess I think that's just yeah really important so you had these amazing people who are there to support you along the way give us a sense what were some of the high points in your outdoor climbing career things that you look back on as being wow I, I can't believe I did that I think like my, my, probably my biggest achievement, my longest goal that I ever had was to climb this thing called the Alpine Trilogy. It's these trio of hard Alpine rock routes in the European Alps. They were first done in the nineties. And at the time they were the hardest climbs in the world. And, and I guess like 30 odd years on, 30 years on from then, you know, they're not the hardest in the world anymore, but they're still really hard climbs that very few people do. And Neil McGeeky, one of my mentors, he, he actually just mentioned it in passing on a trip back from uh, Yorkshire Dales on a drive. And uh, I can remember him talking about the, the Alpine Trilogy, this epic thing. And it just captured my imagination as a young climber. These, I didn't know what they looked like, but I had this idea, these big mountains, these steep rock faces, tiny holds, big runouts between the gear, big fall potential, potential, risky, and uh, like a really hard challenge. And in my mind, I was like, I, I want to be that climber. I want to be that person who can go there and, and manage the fear and climb at that level and, and be able to, to succeed. I want to be one of those guys. And so that, that kind of like planted a seed in my mind. Didn't until I was 25. And I'd kind of done a whole lot of different styles of climbing. I'd never tackled anything really big in the Alpine before. And 
and I went to the Alps fairly, fairly green to it all, but just kind of went directly for it. It was the first thing I went to do was uh, one of the Alpine trilogy. It's a route called Silbergeier and uh, it's in a Swiss Raticon, this huge big limestone face. And uh, I had no idea what it was going to be like. I just went there with a good friend with psych and energy and like a drive. And over the course of like about a week, I climbed it. And I remember being like so, so surprised that I did it. Actually on the, on the, on the first day we went up there, I remember we, we went up there to, to try it, to put the first sort of days working the, the climbing. And I met another climber on the wall who was also trying it. And we were at, we were sitting at this hanging belay. So basically we're hanging like 200 meters off the ground. And there's this, this German couple, um, two, two guys, and we're, we're all sitting at this belay chatting. And I was like, oh, so um, how long have you been trying this, this climb? How long have you been trying Silbergeier? And the guy said, I've been trying it five years and I've fallen off the last pitch for the last five seasons. And I was like, oh, geez. And I was like, and so how hard do you climb? And he told me how hard he climbed. And I realized that this guy was a much, 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 much better climber than me. And I was like, oh no. And it was like day one. And, uh, and over a week, basically learned how to climb the, the moves. And then on the first time I actually tried to do the climb from the, from the ground, I was successful. Again, it was like a, it was a huge leap in confidence for me, a huge boost in confidence to believe that I could do that. And I went on to have probably the most successful summer climbing probably to this day, that, that year. And in every other year since then, I, I attempted another one of the Alpine trilogy. The second one I did was in 2017. And then the third one I did was in 2019. I was successful on, on the last one, which was also the hardest one. And uh, I guess completing the Alpine trilogy was, you know, it's the uh, culmination of, you know, 15 years of training, climbing outdoors, going on trips, learning, and I guess a goal that started off as just this little idea, this, and it, again, it was born from a, a, a car journey. I think that's the crazy thing. It was born from like a car journey and it was the simple thing. My mentor just mentioned it in passing, but somehow that seed had like been planted. And then all those years later, I accomplished it. And I can remember like standing on top of the, the mountain on the final one of the Alpine trilogy as the sun set. And it just being this like totally euphoric experience is realizing that I was at the end of that journey and I'd accomplished it. I love that story of sitting on the belay with some, some guy you just met and people who don't know the climbing world, that doesn't surprise me at all. It's, it's a very kind of uh, non-hierarchical world, I guess. So you can turn up to your local crag and you can have punters like me messing around and there can be a pro climber like Robbie next to you. And that's, that's really, really normal, really common. Of course, the wall, it's the same thing. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff goes on. I'm interested though, right? So we've got this guy who's been climbing harder than you for longer than you, who's been trying for five seasons to do this route and you turn up having not climbed as hard as him, but, but you did it almost, almost in your first attempt up the full route. Where does your success come from? What are the factors for you that, that you think lead to these kind of successful ascents, particularly in, like, in places where potentially you had no business being that good at that, that age? What are some of the factors you think that go into making you successful? So I think that, I think I've always been someone who doesn't particularly care what, you know, doesn't, doesn't, I don't have any preconceptions over anything. You know, I, I don't, 
I, I know you, you might hear stories, you might hear like uh, rumors of like what a climb is like, but I've never been one to kind of like take them too seriously. I always like to kind of like get on the climb and figure it out for myself. And, you know, when I met, his name's Manu, when I met Manu on the wall and I realized how hard he climbed and how long he'd been trying it, it did make, it was like a little bit concerning. I was like, oh, this is perhaps like harder than I, than I thought it was going to be. But I don't think that, I never thought that it was impossible. And I don't think that anything's impossible. I've always been sort of had the mindset that anything's possible if you try hard enough. And I thought I need to just try really, really hard. If, if Manu's struggling, maybe I can find an easier way around it. And, uh, and so I, I just set to work specifically on Silvergeier. I set to work to finding the easiest way to climb it. And actually I unlocked a way of climbing that route that Manu hadn't seen. And, uh, when I told him after I did it, I sent him a message and I said, I did it, Manu. Uh, and I sent him a message saying, this is what I did. And I kind of told him what I did. And, uh, he went, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. And then he came back and then did it using my my way <laughs> so um so it was like uh yeah i think sometimes it, it I, I look at things a little bit differently and um, rock with rock climbing is a lot about you know problem solving and uh, i've always been very good at that aspect of it i know i'm not the strongest i know i'm physically not as strong as other people climb the same level as me but i'm very good at problem solving i've got a good mental tenacity and i've got a good work ethic I always try my hardest. And most importantly, I always have fun. I love what I'm doing. I enjoy every aspect of it. Sometimes it gets stressful and it gets hard and, you know, it gets difficult, but at the end of the day, I absolutely love it. So it nev- I, I never feel like I'm, I'm failing, to be honest. And I'm always willing to try something that is out of my comfort zone. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, some with new eyes, fresh eyes, no preconceptions about how it's meant to be done, finds a different way of doing it and says, well, actually, I just went to the left or went to the right or tried a different sequence or tried a different organization or whatever whatever it might be. I also love that a young guy can tell an older guy his way of doing it and the older guy is quite happy to listen to that and takes on rather than, oh, yeah, well, what do you know? You've only been around for five minutes. So I love it. I would love to dig into a bit about this idea of mentality, something that I suppose by anecdote, you're quite well known for for having a really, I guess, real strong mentality about climbing in terms of the way you approach and do things. Could you give us a sense of, I suppose, how you mentally approach difficult, scary routes and and how you go about um, them being successful and taking them on? Yeah, sure. I think I, I think like I, I it's quite a hard one that because I approach every route quite differently. And I think every you know, there's loads of different situations. You know, you can you can have like a a climb which is is very small and maybe not as hard, but also very very dangerous. Or you can you can have a climb that's very very big and looks scary, but it's not dangerous. But it, it could be physically or technically very very difficult. And so I guess I guess I approach things quite differently depending on the the scenario. I, I guess like the thing that I I always I always do. I always try and assess kind of what type of climb it's going to be and, and uh, assess the dangers, the danger aspects of it, whether or not I should practice it before I try it, whether or not I can attempt to do it first, first time ground up, um, which is always a riskier approach. I always like to be, to feel prepared for things. And especially, 
I guess in like the early days of my more, my alpine climbing, I think that I got away with a few things, a few, you know, that were quite scary and bold because I was blissfully unaware of the danger I was in and kind of just went at it with the approach I'd had previously in, in sport climbing and bouldering, which is, you know, far less dangerous and has far less objective risks. And then I remember there was a period, a short period of time where I, I kind of came through that phase and realized some of the dangers I was in. And it actually, it actually kind of um, lowered my performance slightly because I went through this phase where I, I felt like I was vulnerable. But then I came out of that again, simply by making myself more prepared. I, I went about trying to learn better rope skills, better techniques, kind of learned in more situations where they were risky and learned how to manage those risks more effectively. And then, and then, and then again, I guess like a lot of the, com- the confidence I have now when I approach climbs stems from the experience I have and the knowledge that I can get myself out of these situations. If I get myself into, you know, if I get myself into a bad situation, I can get myself out again, rather than it just being blissfully unaware of like the, the dangers I'm in. And so I, I think like, does that make sense? I think that's, hopefully that's answered. Yeah. No, it does make sense. Now, I guess we went from the Alpine trilogy climbing big routes all over the world and, and big scary stuff to then we had a lockdown and you weren't able to travel. And I've got this sense from chatting to you today and in, and in the past that someone who's used to traveling a lot for, for what you do for a living and then finding yourself with, at least you've got Akrag near where you live and you and I both play there sometimes. What's it been like, I guess, lockdown climbing and I guess almost going back to your roots a wee bit, back to those wee central belt quarries and stuff. What's lockdown climbing been like for you? Well, I'd say like there was, we've had like, I don't know, are we in number three? I, I lose count. <laughs> we, lockdown has gone through, several, like a, again, a wave, wave of emotions for me. I, the first lockdown was fairly easy, I remember, because it was novel. i just come back, you know, I, I got forced to come back from the States because if I didn't come back from the States then I was going to get locked in there forever. And I came straight back into lockdown and I remember thinking, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm getting like forced basically to, to stay still for the first time in my life. And I, I can't, I can't really do anything. And actually I remember it being really good for me. It was like, I had gone from one goal to the next for probably a decade and I'd never stopped and I'd never slowed down. And I, I think that it actually was good for me to just stop and, and kind of reassess life and, and kind of not have any goals straight up in front of me. But then I guess lockdown two and lockdown three have been harder yet again, um, lockdown three in particular. And um, I guess it just, this last lockdown has been particularly hard. There's been so many things that have, have kind of gone on, um, not just the lockdown itself, but um, also in November, I, my dad died, um, which has been really hard on, on me and my family. I inherited his business. So like I'm kind of like semi running his business at the moment as well. And my mom's not the best at the moment. So like there's, there's so many things going on in my life and I'm trying to balance climbing on top of that. But what was like a, a really important thing for me to have, it was really integral, I guess, to, to sort of keeping me mentally intact was well, two things, I guess, like after my dad died back in November, having this little climbing wall, that I built in a shed in the garden. And it's just this little, um, it's a couple of plywood boards stuck onto some timber. 
with a bit of an ang- with a steep angle and a bunch of holds thrown up on it. And I would go in there for hours in the freezing cold and often wet winter's nights and just climb on it. And, and kind of, I, would, I, asked, I found my, you know, I kind of, I managed to find that sort of like physical escape from the situation I was in. And it was a, it was a time for me to sort of vent and, uh, and kind of just have some time to myself on climbing again. But what um, and it was great, and for 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 probably three months it was it was amazing. But you know, climbing is many things to me. It's a, it's a physical and a technical sport, but it's also a very social thing. And 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 the objectives, like the challenge that you get from trying a hard boulder problem or, or trying a project, that's really important. And I, I wasn't getting that on the board. I was only kind of training, and I wasn't I didn't have like a social scene, and I wasn't seeing many other climbers. So. Uh, so basically, as soon as the weather started getting better, I started thinking, actually, it'd be nice to, to get outside. And I have this one crag that's five minutes from my house. And I mean, I, I grew up, I grew up here and my mum uh, would take me down past this crag on wee walks with the dogs. Um, it's, it's, in this crag, it's in this place called the Hermitage, Blackford Quarry, people know it by. But the one little bit of rock that kind of juts out where a lot of people go bouldering is called Agassiz Rock. And as a, as a youngster, I remember scrambling around there, but not taking it too seriously. And of course, as I got into climbing and traveled the world, Agassiz Rock was just this piece of crap that like, I would never even think twice about, you know? And, uh, but now, you know, now I was in lockdown and it was just on the road. I was like, actually, you know, I'm going to go down and climb there. And I went down there one evening and there was about, you know, six or seven other climbers there. And it was a beautiful sunny, sunny evening and was climbing beside other people, chatting to people, found a few bits of, uh, bits of the crag, which, you know, were a bit harder than the other bits. And I started working a project and then I got the project and I was successful. And I, I realized like, actually, this is, this is what I love about climbing, you know, like achieving these little, these little uh, objectives, chatting to people about their projects, helping people, you know, just having a social. And I just started going down there like a couple of evenings a week. And, uh, and kind of getting my dose of what climbing means to me. And, uh, and it, was, yeah, it, was, it was amazing. It was, it was uh, again, it totally saved me. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say really, bit apart from, you know, it was, it's brilliant having that wee piece of crap that I can just go and scramble on. <laughs> oh, Robbie, if that isn't like the quote of the, uh, of the pod, I don't know what it is. I've got that wee piece of crap that I can go and climb on sometimes. <laughs> It's, it's funny, I'm laughing, um, and people should definitely check out Robbie's channel. He did a video a while back now where he <laughs> describes that as the worst crag in the world. But I love that it's kind of become this like little solace for Robbie, that like this this place that gives you something gives something back to you, I guess, and that, that you feel connected to. Um, yeah, thanks thanks for sharing that. Obviously, it's been a really tough few months for you, and yeah, we're obviously all, all thinking of you. I love that you just the way you described that as this this like physical escape from that situation that you'd find yourself in and climbing is that amazing tool for kind of mental health and for escape and I also just love as I said earlier that the sport is in a place where you can walk down and there's a pro climber Robbie's a sponsor climber and he's trying the same problems as people who are just doing this for a bit of fun and evenings and, and there's like there's no hierarchy you're all working the same problem and you're all working together and it's just yeah, it's wonderful. So I was going to say a couple of times I have actually just gone down there 
without my climbing shoes and without my chop bag, like I'd be not resting. And I would just go down to the crag just to see if there was other climbers there so I could sit and just like chat to people. <laughs> it's nice. It's such a nice spot. Oh, I love it. I know it is. It's a great spot. And uh, yeah, I tend not to boulder down there. So I people are ever down there. I'm occasionally down there messing about on, on my rope on my own because I don't have any friends. But uh, it's a great little place. And there's, you know, one of the nice things about lockdown is people can't travel as far. And so therefore lots of people who would normally be going elsewhere or be indoors are getting out and discovering it, which is just, just amazing. I'm wondering if I can ask you one more question, if that's okay. Yeah, um, of course. You know, you've had this this amazing career. I'm going to do a summary in a second for people. I love that, the way you started out and the way it's kind of progressed through. Do you have any advice for, for young athletes, maybe for young climbers or for young athletes in general coming through things that you've learned along the way that you maybe wish you'd known at the start? Well, I guess... I think that you've, I mean, hundred percent, you've always got to love what you do and really enjoy it. And I think that's, I guess I think I like attribute a lot of my success in climbing to just because I, I love climbing so much and I, and I, I enjoy kind of like the training and I enjoy the challenge and that really allows me to push myself, you know, to my max and never kind of like never feel bored of it, you know? And uh, so I guess, I guess like I would say like to anyone who out there who's, who wants to go down a, I don't know, who, who, who's interested in pushing themselves in sport, try and find the thing that they, they love about it and to, and to explore that and not get perhaps uh, diverted by what other people might say is potentially good for them. I, I've seen a lot of like climbers, young climbers in particular, get push too hard into competitions mainly i guess particularly a lot a lot of time by parents who, who who aren't climbers who see competition climbers being the thing that they need to do to be successful but i think that you can be successful in anything you want and and anything you find interesting or or anything that drives you in a sport or in or in any aspect of life i think go for that don't be um, pressured into doing other other things necessarily. I always, I, I've always had the approach that I'll do what I want to do rather than being affected by what others say. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. It's interesting, actually, our last guest on the podcast, Imogen Walsh, she talked about loving training and loving the racing and saying, actually, you have to love both. You can't just love one. You've got to love them both. So if you, you've got to love the training as well as you love the, you know, in your case, going after big routes and trying to trying to get that send in. You've got to love them both. You can't just have one. Yeah. And I think like, um, especially, especially in climbing, I, I don't know much about other sports because I haven't done that many other sports, but like, yeah, I think, I think especially in climbing, you get a huge drop off, you know, around, you know, 16 years old from young climbers who push too hard in the competitions and don't have like anything else. Um, they do on the side, like going rock climbing and, you know, or having like a social thing. They, they're, they're too much about the training and too much about the winning. And unless you, you, you have to have a very particular mindset to do competitions and you either, you either are successful in them and being successful is always fun. <laughs> or if you're not successful, how do you maintain the motivation to continue doing the competitions? There are some people who can, but there are a lot of people who can and, the people that can either give up because they don't see another pathway or they, they have another pathway like outdoor climbing, like bouldering, traditional climbing, like big wall climbing, alpinism, mountaineering, whatever. 
and then they kind of like find their way in, in, in that side of things. And so I've always tried to encourage young climbers to, to kind of do a bit of everything, to find out what they enjoy. And, you know, when it comes to the point where they, um, where they want to make decisions, whether or not they continue pushing in competition climbing, they can make that choice for themselves. Thanks, Robbie. I think it's interesting. That advice would apply to pretty much every sport I've ever worked in, I would say. Very, very, very last question before I give you a wee summary, everyone. Uh, what's next, Robbie? I'm always keen to ask like climbers and mountaineers, have you got anything on the horizon, things you're really, really looking to try and do and try and achieve over the next next year or so? So I've had, I've had to cancel a trip to Pakistan twice now, once for last year because of COVID and this year because of COVID. And uh, I think like international travel is just off the cards basically for the next year. So I'm honestly just really psyched to explore my backyard climb around Scotland, look for first ascents, go and repeat some of, you know, Dave McLeod's hard routes and do a bit of adventuring. And then, you know, when we get into 2022, I think I might book that trip for Pakistan again and hope that we can travel and, and go on expeditions again. Oh, thanks, Robbie. And we'll definitely be keeping an eye out of your uh, mischief around Scotland and the UK for the next summer, probably, certainly. Oh, wow, there was a lot in there. I love that Robbie started out Duke of Edinburgh Award. I started out in the Scouts, sort of similar thing. And just that passion was ignited. You had just had an amazing time. You wanted to keep doing it, but not a fan of camping or in the rain, as it turns out. So that's always good to know that, isn't it? Love that background in in competition and indoor climbing and that giving you a really strong background in terms of how, like, how to climb hard and how to be an athlete and all that, that kind of comes with that. That life-changing trip to Kalimnos with your family, going out there and discovering that because you previously thought that uh, central belt quarries of Scotland weren't that interesting. And then you discovered real climbing in these other places and it just ignited that for you. We talked about the, some of the high points and and things that, that you know, you'd worked for and went that. And then we kind of chatted a bit about just around mental health and around using climbing for that and that kind of solace and all the things that climbing is for you and all that, it, that it's given you and, um, and your enthusiasm for is, is just, just infectious. And then Finished up with a bit of advice for young young athletes coming in. Try and find the thing you love about it. If you do nothing else, find that. It's just been an amazing conversation. Robbie, probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast normally haven't heard of you and would probably love to figure out where they could follow you and keep a track of what you're up to. Where's the best places and best ways to keep an eye on what you're up to? Yeah, so like I reckon like on a day-to-day basis, I keep my Instagram fairly updated. Lots of cool pictures, usually try and like you know, talk a little bit about whatever I'm thinking at the time. <laughs> so that's um, at Robbie Phillips underscore. We do like a bi-weekly um, video on YouTube, which again, you can find just by looking up Robbie Phillips. And we've got a channel, uh, which I do with my friend Cullen and my girlfriend, Mary. And it's basically just like loads of fun adventures and kind of zany random stuff that we get up to. Usually, oh, pretty much all centered around climbing. But um it's pretty much accessible for anybody. So, so yeah, go and check us out over there, watch some videos and yeah, hopefully catch you at a crag soon. Yeah. Thanks Robbie. I'll put all those descriptions, all that stuff in the description for the podcast. Thank you so, so much for your time, Robbie. It's, it was a real joy to chat to you and learn a bit, bit more about your journey and what you've been up to. And obviously we wish you all the very best for where you go next and we'll, we'll keep an eye out on what you're up to. Everyone, there was a lot in there. I would encourage you to take some notes and pick out things that you think might be useful, no matter what it is you do, whether you're coaching or working with other people or, or whatever. There's, there was a lot in there. 
do keep an eye out for future podcasts and obviously hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss out. For the time being, please everyone stay safe.